I'm Dermot Hussey. Welcome to Riffin Radio, the podcast. It's a collection of interviews with artists from various genres, spanning three decades and giving more context to the music we love. Pianist composer Randy Weston was influenced by Duke Ellington and Thelonious Monk. The music Randy expressed, however, explored the influence of African music on jazz. In 1989, I spoke to Randy about one of his acclaimed albums, Uhuru Africa. Randy, the thing that is really fascinating about the music that you have made is that you were born in Brooklyn, you had an American mother and a father who has a connection into Stokes Hall, is it, in Moran Bay. Uh, is that really what has given you the dimensions that you have in music? Because you have a West Indian, you have an, uh, an American experience, and also the African, which really embraces everything. Was that really what it was? Yes, because I was very lucky to have such a really wonderful father because he taught me I was an African when I was a small boy and told me that I had thousands of years of history to discover. And for me to understand him better than my grandparents, I had to go to Africa one day. And my dad made me take piano lessons. So my father was very, very important in my life and also the musical environment of growing up in New York. We had the West Indian carnivals, we had the spirituals, we had the jazz, and our parents would bring the best music in the house. And there was no category. It was all part of our culture. How did the first kind of musical experience for you begin as a pianist? My dad making me take piano lessons, you know. Uh, I'm very big and I was quite tall as a boy. And I love sports. I played basketball, football. My dad made me take piano lessons, you know. And of course, you had to learn the European classical system of piano. And I couldn't relate to that culturally. So I had a hard time. But my dad, he was very strong. <laughs> and I guess maybe he recognized a talent somewhere. But during that period of time, almost everybody's had a piano in their home. And most of the parents who cared would make their kids take music lessons to keep them out of the streets. Because mm -hmm. streets in New York were pretty rough, you see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So from piano lessons, you went straight into, well, for a while, I gather, you weren't sure whether you wanted to be a musician. For a long while. <laughs> oh, yes? Yes, because there were so many great musicians. I mean, you know, Art Tatum, Merrill Hines, uh, Thelonious Monk, Bud Powell, Elmer Hope, Herbie, I mean, you name it. And you were, you were hearing them as a youngster. I was hearing them, and... Uh, you know, and just amazed at his great talent. Eddie Haywood, he lived right across the street from my house. So there were so many great pianists. I never thought I'd have an opportunity to even participate as far as being a professional pianist. The first tune we heard was Little Niles, which is written uh, about your son and also forms a body of work that you did while you lived in the Berkshires. That's correct, yes. What was it that the Berkshires had that made you kind of pull that kind of music out of that experience? Well, uh, when I went to the Berkshires, that's when things in in, uh, in the New York were very difficult, you know. Uh, 
hardly any work for musicians. A place had closed down for dancing. And I wasn't sure about my talent, so I ended up going up to the Berkshires, working as a second cook, actually. And I played piano at night. Mm. And then people would hear me play, and then I came in contact with the European classical musical world. See, because the Boston Symphony Orchestra would perform up in Tanglewood seven weeks every year. Eventually, I would play piano at the local hotels. And there I came in contact with people who were very much involved in the music of Bach, Beethoven, Mozart, Stravinsky. And but they would come and hear me play mm. after the concerts and gave me a lot of encouragement. And I guess as far as a composer is concerned, that's that's where it really happened for me. They heard some of my waltzes like uh, Little Niles and Pam's Waltz and uh, gave me a lot of encouragement. So it, it played a great mole, m- role in my life. In addition, I came in contact with nature because up there it's very beautiful. You see the trees, the grass, the flowers, just wonderful, wonderful area. Mm. You mentioned writing in waltz time, uh, which we're going to hear again with the second tune, Pam Walls. Why waltz time? Well, some things happen, you don't know why. Sometimes you're attracted to certain sounds or certain rhythms, you don't know why. But I do recall uh, liking so much of Jitterbug Waltz when I heard Fats Waller play it. Although I never thought I'd really be inspired to play it, but I always loved that piece. But it was actually Macbeth who I heard up in the Berkshires. He came, and with his uh, ukulele and his guitar, he started playing some uh, some quadrilles for me and started singing them, you know, with, with this calypso feeling and rhythm and of the islands. And that's when I suddenly realized that 3-4, that a waltz tempo, can be a very swinging tempo. Those compositions indicated very early, Randy, that you had a a certain feel for... For melodies, uh, you also had a a very distinctive piano style that had a a lineage. Would you would you would you be able to sort of single out who were the sort of people that were influences on you as a pianist then? Wow. Well, I guess you know the first influence wouldn't be a piano player; it'd be actually Coleman Hawkins, <laughs> saxophone. Yeah, huh? he was my first real jazz idol when I heard Body and Soul. Mm. And in fact, I tried to play body and soul on the piano, just like he played on the saxophone. That's how much I love I was with that solo. Mm. But I guess it had to be uh, Count Basie, Nat King Cole, Art Tatum, Thelonious Monk, and Duke Ellington in that order. Okay. Yeah. Incidentally, Randy is going to be appearing uh, Wednesday night at the Mutual Jazz Session, along with some fantastic musicians, Big Black, Talib Kibwe, Tom McKenzie on bass. you got to get there and get there early because space is very limited. We're going to hear another composition, Randy, which is one of the um, famous ones of yours, High Fly. It was recorded by you several times, also by a lot of people, which meant, again, that there was something there. What was it that inspired High Fly in that title? (laughs) (laughs) It's very funny because High Fly is a takeoff on myself. You see, I'm six foot seven. You know? <laughs> Flying very high. Yeah, so this song is like how the ground looks to me, you know. It's far away than other people, you know. But that's that's how it really started off as a as a song. Happened in New York, right on thirteenth Street one day and just, just happened. But it's really a takeoff on myself, I fly. Riffin Radio. A live recording at the five spot. 
Again with our special guest this evening, Randy Weston, and some very interesting personnel, Kenny Durham and Trumpet, Coleman Hawkins, the great mm-hmm. Hawkins, I tell you, <laughs> on tenor saxophone, the drums, Roy Haynes. That must really bring back some fantastic memories. Uh, arrangements, again, by Melba Liston, that must bring back, as I was saying, Randy, great memories. Certainly, because that was a Monday night at the Five Spot Club in New York. And ironically, Melba Listen was in California. She was sick in the hospital in California. And she, and she finished the arrangements in the hospital. And, and, and the arrangements were sent by some kind of special express or something. <laughs> arrived. Courier. <laughs> yeah, arrived the afternoon of the concert, you know. And there was no rehearsals. I passed out the music, and these great musicians really came in and just took care of business. I'll never forget. As great musicians do. (laughs) (laughs) Africa was, in many ways, a turning point in your life. You went there in 1961. What was it like? I mean, bearing in mind the cultural experiences that you came out of. Well, I was already in tune, thanks to my dad. He had me well prepared. So when I went went to Nigeria in 1961, it was... It made me the first summit, actually, cultural summit between uh, uh, African-Americans and, and the Nigerians. Uh, Brock Peters went, Jeffrey Holder, Lyle Hampton, Nina Simone, Ahmed Abdul-Malik, Langston Hughes, Booker Irvin, myself, Hale Woodruff, the painter, or it was 29 of us to see what the relationship was between the music, the culture, the writing of... Um, of um, of West Africa and African Americans, and we had two jazz dancers too. So it was it was a fantastic experience. You're listening to Riffin Radio. Yes, that was uh, Uhuru Africa, Melba Liston's most incredible arrangements. You know, and I always learned to write a composition showing the similarities and uh, the relationship between African peoples in a global sense. And we did this work and. Uh, I got the great Langston Hughes to write a freedom poem. Uh, we had it translated into Kiswahili by a man named Mr. Tutimeke Sanga from Tanzania. And then I got those incredible musicians. I mean, there's too many to even mention at this particular time, but it was a historical event for me because uh, we did these recordings. There were 33 artists involved, and we did recordings uh, two mornings in a row at 9 o'clock in the morning. Everybody was on time. <laughs> Everybody. Freddie Hubbard, Clark Terry, Max Roach, Ron Carter, George Rivier, Cecil Payne, Yusuf Latif, Candido. I mean, just enormous. Uh, they were obviously moved by... It was just not an ordinary recording. No, it was an ordinary recording because it was it was wonderful because we had West Africans, we had people from the Caribbean, we had uh, African Americans. We were all put together. So we have a, have a common... Uh, ancestral history have a common direction and culturally you know although our musics are different it's very much the same because we come from the same tree Riffin Radio we have been playing that monumental work called Uhuru Africa and Randy went there in 1961 and although Africa has had a continuing impact on the world's music whether Europe pop music music of the East, other continents. It's perhaps the greatest singular impact that any people, continent, have had on music. And Randy has been special in that he has 
gone to the source and he's always been making the the total connection so much so that the greatest trend right now which is what they're calling the world beat really is just telling us that music randy has come 360 degrees and has gone back to africa is that beautiful isn't that something it's from the creator you know what we the way the wind blows but it's 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 so exciting to hear what's happening today and one of the things that really impressed me uh you know the the african pop groups you know and that i've heard in europe and whatnot they were they're also bringing up some of the traditional people you know some of the great traditional artists on the core and the various instruments so the audience can be exposed to where that music came from you know as they say to me in africa they said this is the original music you know the music of the villages in the ancient societies when you went there in 61 and went on to you know visit so many countries and as well you have lived in 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 north africa what have been the significant things outside of uh obviously you know people talk about rhythm straight away but what else in music well the music is very much in in tune with the nature you see and because you know africa has the greatest nature i mean in the sense that you uh, have so many different languages so many different terrain from the sahara desert to the equator uh, from the watusi to the pygmy the, the diversity is incredible and what's so beautiful like you can be in one country and just travel a few kilometers and get an entirely different kinds of music and also a lot of the music most of the music is about love or about god and that made a tremendous impact upon me and the traditional musicians really taught me that uh, you uh, communicate with the creator before you touch your instrument you see and they have a, they have the really the real foundation of music which is based upon spirituality mm. there's also a practice that people are not very aware of that is that the power of music can be used to heal people who are ill do they practice that very much so that's uh, in africa you know music is it plays such a meaningful role which has been passed down to us i used to wonder when i was a kid growing up in brooklyn how the shoeshine boy could whistle a charlie parker solo note for note didn't know anything about music but <laughs> when you go to africa you know there's some societies that the word music doesn't exist that the word musician doesn't exist because something that everybody does you see So uh, there's music for every single activity that takes place is music for. And when you get involved with such a with a such a high degree of um, of spirituality through music and music has a total meaning for the whole community which means that there's no separation between the artist and the audience they become one you know. And I remember growing up in Brooklyn uh, the the so-called jazz critics was was the black audience they would tell you whether you played well or not you see and you mm. see that going back to back to african uh, the african way of life it's something very exciting and again i point out that you really realize that the spirits spirituals came out of africa uh all the music that uh, we have the variations of rhythm from bossa nova to samba to gospel to spirituals it all goes back to that spiritual foundation of african music which is based upon music to they say if you are ill in essence you're out of tune of nature so they play music to bring you back into nature so you can be well 
it's something so beautiful. You're listening to Riffin Radio. Goddess of sun and of sea, my lovely one. African lady, your eyes softly bright. Like the girl, like the light of stars above. Smile and the whole world sings a happy song of love. It's an incredible song, uh, Randy, that every time I hear it, and look when it was recorded, it still has a incredible kind of magical quality. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, we try to look at music as um, really good music is no time factor at all. You know, it's not past, it's not present, it's not future. It's all of those things, you know. Mm. Yes. Mm. The lyrics were written by Langston Hughes, right? Yes, the great one. And uh, our great appreciation for the African woman African lady and how much she sacrificed and uh, how much she's she's done in me to help to bring us up and whatnot. So it's a symbolic piece, you know, the African woman, wherever she may be. The arrangements again by Melba Liston. The album called Bantu, and it was released by Roulette Records. Is it, I mean, work like this is still available or it's being reissued? I mean, CDs have currently sort of come back. Yeah, I, I, it, music. this has not come out on CD that I know of, Bantu. You know, this is a reissue. The original was on Roulette mm. called Uhuru Africa. That was the actual title. Right. You know. uh, but this is a reissue. You can find it in some stores, but of course, always with jazz music, you know, it's always sometimes difficult to find some of some of the earlier things. Mm-hmm. Yes. The experiences that you had in Africa have given you a kind of perspective of the world and of music. How do you sort of place that perspective against what's currently happening in terms of the music? Well, you know, um, I always go back to um, to some of the phrases of my, my parents, you know. And uh, sometimes they tell you something, you know, it may, makes sense maybe 25 years later. <laughs> but my dad, he always said that the chips will go back to the block from whence it came. You said all the time, you know. But the interpretation that is, you know, that the whole human race will have to go back to Africa one day because it's the beginning of civilization. And so much has happened to Africa. African people have been spread throughout the world, you know. And he always had a feeling, and I do too, that we have to go back in, in, in every way. Music, morality, spirituality. Uh, so I think it's it's a natural process. But my dad told me that a long time ago, you know. Mm-hmm. So this sudden movement, not sudden, but this emergence of African culture everywhere in the world now, it's incredible. Sculpture, music hairstyles, you know, fabrics, cloth, uh, artwork. It's just amazing what's going on today. Indeed, right now at this very minute, there are producers all over Africa recording the hottest African groups. A group of brothers have just opened up, uh, I think the second club called Kilimanjaro in New York. And I gather what they do is that they go into the deepest part of the bush and bring back groups that have never been heard from before. Yeah. And there's and the clubs are rammed out just to... But this isn't um, quite remarkable because American pop music, to a large extent, has always been very resistant 
to what they call ethnic music. Um, so, so long as it didn't conform to what were, you know, their given criteria, it was shunted out. It couldn't find a marketplace um, except, you know, in sort of folk catalogs and this kind of thing. Yes. But now it's all over the place. That's right. Because it's, it's from creation itself. It has nothing to do with man, what we can regulate or not. You know, they have an expression that uh, music uh, is a miniature universe. Music is a sacred art. Music is God. God is music. And many of the elders have told me that the first thing that changes is the music, and all of civilization follows a change in music, you know. And I believe that. So I think when you, when you, when what's been laid down by Louis Armstrong and Charlie Parker and all the masters before us, and we've tried to continue that tradition, will have an effect. And now it's wonderful because I've gone to several programs and I see people now spending one half hour, one hour, just playing African traditional music. Mm. And in the process of playing that music, you see, which is not music that you can't copy this music, I mean, they come down and try to get new ideas, but this music is, is, is pure, you know, you can't, make this music better because this music is directly in communication with nature and thousands of years of history. But this music now is starting to have an impact because I think people need to get back to spirituality in a world that's one of our technology. The music Niger Mambo from the album African Cookbook, Randy Weston with a sextet. In fact, Randy, right throughout your music, you have been wavering you know between a large group a sextet a solo pianist do you have any preferences or, or just all kind of ebbs and flows no it's just wonderful to play music you know? no matter <laughs> right. what the form is <laughs> it's the end product yes <laughs> of course I mean you know like uh, if I'm doing something like with a symphony orchestra where you got very beautiful strings that can be a tremendous experience at the same time, you're trying to experience with a trio, sometimes a duo, sometimes with just just drums. But I think it's just a musical experience itself, be able to play music and create. That is the greatest thing of all. African Cookbook is really, again, a, a classic album. Uh, it was re-released by Atlantic Records in about 1972. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's hard to come by, like a lot of, of good music. But I'm sure with this kind of African renaissance that's going on, the record companies always see an opportunity to make a buck, as they say. <laughs> Riffin Radio. A young composer, a pianist who works, I think, largely in the classical field, now his name is Anthony Davis, uh, was quoted in an article which was singling out the impact that um, black classical players we're now having uh, on the music in the United States. So many more of them were getting a chance to appear in symphony orchestras and so on. And Anthony Davis was saying that in doing this opera that he did uh, about Malcolm X, just called X, he rediscovered the blues again and found out that, well, but this is really my roots, this is really my heritage. The blues will always be uh, a form that keeps coming back and back. Is, is there a special reason, as far as you're concerned as a musician, Randy, why this keeps happening? Well, you know, 
The blues is a music that's uh, very easy for communication. You can get a message across very simply with the blues, you see. And the blues, what we call the blues, is really, that's pure African music. That music was brought directly from Africa. And you can find this blues form in almost any village you go to in Africa. The Berber villages, the Sahara villages, West Africa. You go to hear traditional music, you hear the blues. And the people in Morocco who have done some research on, called the Ganawa people, who were the black Moroccans who came originally by way of West Africa and said they came from ancient Egypt. Well, these people tell me that the blues is the very first music on the planet. And I can believe that. Because there's no other music I can think of that the communication is so direct, you see, and covers so many uh, uh, parts of the planet and the blues. And the impact it's made on so many different societies. Mm. But you go to Africa and you listen to that music and you say, oh, this is the blues. So it's really a pure African music. A great many other societies as well seem to have their their form of the blues as well, which is most people feel the blues are sad, um, sad songs, but that's not entirely true. It's a sensitive song. That's right. It's a song of the soul. Exactly. And, it's an, and no quicker song can you get a message across in the blues. You're listening to Riffin Radio. The Berkshire Blues, Randy Weston's composition. A great sextet he had then, of course, with Booker Irvin on tenor saxophone, Ray Copeland trumpet and flugelhorn, Vishnu Wood bass, Lenny McBrown drums, and of course Big Black and Sir Harold Murray. Uh, Big Black conga drums and Sir Harold Murray percussion. Big Black is an incredible man. Uh, he's just a little shorter than you are. He's six foot two, but no less powerful. And uh, I have been very fascinated all along to try and discover where Big Black was from because I always thought he was from the Caribbean because he's been so associated yes. with, um, he's talking about the years that he spent with Billy Cook in the Bahamas playing with Billy Cook and also was telling me about Lord Fly. So we're actually going to do a program about Lord Fly and work that into into something about Big Black. But Black has a very special way of playing rhythm on the drums. Completely unique. That no one, I've never heard any other drummer with it. That's right. Him and my son learned from him as a dean. Ah, okay. And also by being in Africa. So these two, Big Black was the master. He's no question about that. I never heard anybody play drums like that. And, uh, because he has a melodic concept. He plays the drums like I play the piano. Mm. And he gets all those sounds and colors, and his mind is so quick, and his rhythmic sense is incredible. It's rather a question of mass percussionist. We've been going over this evening... Uh, you know, some selected gems from your incredible repertoire of, of albums and compositions, Randy. And we want to talk to, for listeners who would perhaps like to collect your music now, about your forthcoming albums. Can you tell us something about that while we, before we get back into the music? Well, yeah, I, I recorded uh, three new albums in Paris, which will come out on Polygram over... And uh, it was wonderful because they asked me to do uh, uh, an album of Duke Ellington, an album of Thelonious Monk's music, an album of my own music. And I have um, Jamil Nasser on bass, Idris Mohammed on, on drums, and a very wonderful percussionist from Ghana named Eric Asante, very dynamic young percussionist. 
But I decided to do it like as a portrait, you know. In other words, how I knew Ellington, how I knew Monk. So it's called a portrait of Ellington, portrait of Monk, and a self-portrait of Weston. Mm. So it's going to come out three at once, and I hope sometime between now and the middle of January. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. And you're, it's just a quartet there. That's correct, yes. Mm. What did you do, for instance, uh, in your portrait of Monk and Ellington? Can you just give us a you know a sketch of that? Well, with Ellington, one of the first pieces we did was Caravan. And in the album notes, I'm trying to dig a little bit deeper in Mr. Ellington, who probably wrote more music about African people than anybody ever. But who was so so smooth and so sophisticated. <laughs> That's right. And so advanced. I remember him. I met him, yeah. So a caravan is, is, is Africa, you see. And we saw love with do caravan. And we fell in love with a very beautiful tune that you don't hear too much called a chromatic love affair mm-hmm. by Duke. And with Monk, I, I was happy to do um, some of the standards like Ruby, My Dear, and Well, You Needn't, I Mean You, and... Uh, Monk's mood, mm-hmm. and uh, it was quite an experience because. And for the self-portrait, new new works from yourself, or uh, I did uh, not necessarily new. I did some tunes that uh, haven't been really heard before. Mm. Mm-hmm. And don't ask me what they were because I tell you, we we had the uh, responsibility of recording these three albums in three days, and that was a lot of. Well, three albums in three days. Especially with Duke and Monk, you know, that was a lot of work to try to try to create something, you know, these great composers and pianists. But it came off, and we we had a ball. We had a good time. Riffin Radio. Randy spent a long time, or or if not a long time, a nice time in in uh, North Africa in Morocco. Give us some of those experiences. We're hearing some of it right now. Um, in the music, Blue Moses, the album so entitled on the CTI label. Well, you know, what's so wonderful about Morocco, you have such a tremendous variety of music. Uh, the people in the Rift Mountains, they have their music. Atlas Mountains have theirs. Down the Sahara people, people on the coast. Uh, but I really came in contact with the Ganawa people, and I spent a number of years with them. And they are great healers. And... Uh, very, very, very serious religious musicians, you know. And um, their music just, just blew my mind. I heard this music. I said, wow, I'm hearing the blues and the, and the gospel and jazz all at once, you know. And that's what's so incredible about African traditional music. And when you experience this music, hear all, of, all the music together to realize it all came out of one, one big part, one big spiritual part of music and just sort of spread all over the earth. And so that was a country where I was had a wonderful uh, cultural center in Tangier. We had all kind of music. We had Congolese music, we had Jamaican music, we had uh, recordings of James Brown, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder. We had uh, a blues band from Chicago. <laughs> Myself and my son played with a dancer from Florida. And it was a place where people, it was called African Rhythms club and it was a place where people could come and experience the variations of African people through music. How did the Moroccans find? They loved it very much because it was quite uh, a rich experience plus we had Moroccan music also and uh, we became very active and we gave a big festival in 1972 in Tangier 
nice big festival. We had Max Roach's group and Odetta, uh, Pucho and his Latin Soul Brothers. I had my group, and we had the traditional musicians, and we had, a, and it was it was a wonderful experience. And I learned a lot because I had a chance to really live in Morocco, travel, get to know the people, and understand a little bit better about the diversity of African music. Thanks for listening to Riffin Radio with Dermot Hussey. Be sure to like us and subscribe. We put out a podcast a week. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram at R-I-F-F-I-N Radio, Facebook, Dermot Hussey, and check out our YouTube channel, Riffin Radio.